it's time for another wonderful episode of Customers Who Click. Episode 55 brings us Joris Bryan from the Dexter Agency, and we're going to be talking about conversion rate optimization, a topic very close to my heart. In my opinion, CRO or conversion rate optimization is an area which is still very undervalued, but also quite misunderstood. It's very easy to go wrong with CRO, um, focus on the wrong metrics, run tests incorrectly, or just waste a lot of time and resources on it. Lots of brands focus on adding more and more traffic to the mix and then focus on kind of the, the conversion rate of that traffic as a whole. But there's so much more to it, including the value side of things. So let's get Yoris on to explain where brands go wrong and how you can get value from a strong CRO strategy. Hi, Yoris. Thanks for joining me today. Could you just introduce yourself, tell us a bit about your, your background, how you've got to where you are and, and why you do what you do? Hey, well, uh, yeah, thanks for get, for having me. Uh, well, I've, I've been around in marketing for a long time now. I, I started um, in marketing um, 20 years ago almost. And first 10 years, I worked in, in classical advertising. Um, and at first, that's that's it's nice, it's fun. But after a while, I just got like fed up with endless discussions about opinions, like move this to the left, move this to the right. Can you make it bigger? Can you make it smaller? Can you make it blue? I don't like this. I don't like that. And it's it's it just drew all the energy out of me. And after a while, I, I'll, I kind of stumbled into digital marketing. And what I liked about the digital aspect of marketing was that everything is measurable and you, you have so many data. And I think like many people that started out in, in uh, digital marketing, I started with like SEO and PPC and that kind of stuff. And at some point I discovered conversion optimization. And um, for me, that was some kind of, well, I, I had an epiphany almost like, okay, this is it. This is what I really want to do. Um, and uh, I started specializing in it, um, following any course that I could uh, could find and, and read any book about conversion optimization I could my, lay my hands on. and. Uh, what I what I really liked about it is that uh, conversion optimization basically it, it combines um, all, everything that I learned in classical advertising as well. So there's a lot of psychology, design, um, uh, copywriting, uh, but it it adds the data to it as well and um, the the all discussions that I used to have with all uh, advertising uh, agency clients they, about make it blue, make it make it red, make it smaller, make it make it bigger. Um, I mean, they, they don't exist anymore. It's like, oh, okay, sure, let's test it. So just no debate whatsoever anymore. So that's what, why I really like this. It, everything kind of came together and it solved my biggest pain point that I had when I uh, worked um, in, in advertising agencies. So yeah, that that's basically what I specialize in. I've been doing uh, zero for e-commerce uh, for the last uh, six years now, almost seven, I, I think. I, I kind of lost track. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm doing conversion optimization for, uh, for e-commerce and absolutely loving it. Awesome. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of sounds similar to how I've gotten into uh, the similar space. Um, had you know worked in house for a few years, came across so many problems with the product that uh, there were just so many opinions on. Yeah, and so just constantly pushing. Right, well, let's just let's just test it. Let's get some data. Let's get some customer feedback. Um, if for some reason we can't test it, let's at least use the data to make the decision. Sure. Let's let's not just go with. Oh, I think it should work like this which is is what you get so much and it's uh, so frustrating so let's um talk a bit about you know cro conversion rate optimization um do you want to just kind of i i guess i'd expect a lot of people to know what it is but it'd be mm. good to hear what how you describe it and how yeah. you would explain it to someone all right yeah so maybe first of all i i'm not a big fan of the term conversion rate optimization or cro um because I, I i think I mean, conversion rate, it is an important metric, but the thing is, it's not the only metric. And at the end of the day, like in our case, we mainly work for, e well, only work for e-commerce companies. Um, the conversion rate is important, but at the end of the day, it's, it's all about revenue and, and about profit. Um, and it's easy to double your conversion rate by um, just cutting your prices uh, in half or even lower and you'll double your conversion rate. But as a business, that's, that just, just doesn't make any sense. So uh, I think conversion rate optimization, I mean, it's here to stay. Um, uh, everyone uses the term now. Um, but I'd say if you want to use the term uh, CRO, uh, why not make it um, continuous revenue optimization? I, I think it's still not ideal as a term, but uh, it's closer to, to what we do uh, in the field of conversion optimization. So um, 
the way I, I see conversion optimization is, is, is a bit more holistic, a little bit broader probably than just focusing on, the, on that conversion rate um, as such. Um, I think in the beginning, we were very, very much focused on, on just conversion rate. But in the end, um, what I think conversion optimization is, is, is really about getting more uh, out of what you already have. Um, and, and that's not just your conversion rate. So um, just to illustrate that, um, like we work for e-commerce and, and if, if you want to grow your store and we're really talking about your online store, um, you can... Um, only pull four levers to grow your store and that's uh, you can increase your traffic you can increase your purchase frequency so uh, the number of times uh, somebody buys from you on average you can you can uh, increase your average order value and you can increase your conversion rate if you think about it those are the only four levers that you can pull to grow your store and um, your revenue is is the result of your traffic times your conversion rate times your average order value times your purchase frequency and um, a lot of companies are focused on, on the traffic side of things and, and they get to certain points um, just by focusing on that and uh, that, that makes sense in, in the beginning of a company but then they forget that then there's, there's a lot more you already have that traffic why not well why, why don't you try to uh, get more out of it and um, you, can, you can easily double your e-commerce by focusing on these three other levers uh, and increase each of the three other levers by just 30 percent you you basically double your business as well but yet a lot of companies um, focus on just the traffic side of things and they, they want to double the traffic to double the revenue. But it's, so this, I mean, you have to look at it holistically and um, uh, yeah, working with what you already have. Uh, I mean, you, you already have your uh, customers. Um, so why not try to sell more to the same customers? That's the purchase frequency. You already have transactions. Why not get a higher average order value out of every transactions? transaction and you already have visitors to your site so why not try and convert more of those visitors so that's the conversion rate you work on i've personally i've evolved from that very narrow definition of of looking at the conversion rate to really working with what you already have and trying to get more out of that instead of um adding more traffic to your site yeah i completely agree with you uh, exactly like especially what you said right at the start there it's really easy to improve a conversion rate yeah what's not easy to do is actually improve the 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 end result positively uh, by by improving conversion rate, which is that revenue. Uh, well, ideally profit. You know, there you you can yeah you can do you can run promotions. You can stick you know you can stick these little uh, like widgets and things on site that will that kind of push people in the right direction. But at the end of the day, if it's not increasing profit, it's it can be a bit pointless. Yeah, absolutely. but even that even that explanation is not great because there are. There are cases where you don't care so much about the profit. You know, for example, on a first purchase, mm -hmm. you might not care so much about the profit because you're happy to spend money getting that person in. You're happy to give them a, a discount. I mean, look at subscription. So many subscription models these days, like um, Gusto, HelloFresh, um, even like you know Netflix and the like. You get a free trial or a heavily discounted you know first purchase. On top of the fact that they've paid for, you, for paid the acquisition costs of getting you, which could be, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds, something like that, 50 euros. So you're not, you know you're not going to be profitable on that first purchase, which is fine. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, it's all about that, that lifetime value, really. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, also, I guess another thing that you didn't really mention, but it's kind of, kind of what you said, conversion rate, doesn't necessarily have to be the actual conversion rate of the website. Mm -hmm. the conversion rate is the trying to get the and improve a data point at any part of the marketing funnel. Really, that yep. could be an open rate, a click through rate, the average order value. You know, as long as you're you're increasing the positive result of that conversion, mm -hmm. that that's what we want to be aiming for. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, conversion can be the, the, the well, let, let's say the main conversion, the transaction when, you're, when we're talking about e-commerce, but it could be any micro conversion that leads up to the uh, to the main conversion. Obviously, yeah, yeah, and and it's it's true. I mean, lifetime value is super important, and 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 the profit that you get out of that lifetime value rather than that first uh, purchase. I totally agree with that. Um, I think like even but even per um, if it's just about the website. I remember like one case where we ran an A-B test and, and the conversion rate uh, from the variation was lower. So B, the B version actually lost when you just looked at conversion rate. 
But what we uh, did in that test was um, we added an upsell uh, in the checkout that uh, increased the profit considerably. Um, and at the end of the day, you go with that, right? Because that's that's what moves the needle for the business. It's it's not the conversion rate as such. So the conversion rate was lower, but the profit was higher. So you go with that variation. So really, that, that's something I notice with a lot of people that start out with conversion uh, optimization. And you'll notice I, I typically say conversion optimization, and I don't just avoid the word conversion rate optimization because that, that already sounds a little bit better, I guess. Um, but a lot of people get so stuck on that CR part of CRO uh, that they forget about the, the the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a client in similar situation. Really, some some tests lower the conversion rate, but the uh, average order value goes up so mm-hmm. much that we say, well, cool, we we don't really care. Like, yeah. we're not too bothered about the fact that the conversion rates dropped. I don't know five ten percent because the average order value has gone up so much. Um, but also, you know, there might be reasons why you are happy with a really high conversion rate and a lower average order value for that. For, again, for the first purchase, that's mm. that's probably <laughs> the only situation actually. Um, you know, and, and that's where offers like free plus shipping came in. Yeah. You know, the idea is you, you're not making any money off that purchase, but you are getting that customer in. You're getting that email address. Um, hopefully. Obviously, with these days, you also need the specific opt-in for GDPR. Um, but then if you work on your conversion rates around those opt-ins as well, that then leads to more value. Yeah. Totally um, so I guess we're, we're slightly touching on this anyway, but what sort of misconceptions are there? What are, maybe around A-B testing then? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think the, when it comes to conversion optimization and A/B testing, there's 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 many misconceptions. The, the ones that I um, come across the most, I I think first of all, confusing those two terms, conversion rate optimization or conversion optimization and and, and A/B testing. Um, it, it you need well a certain amount of traffic to do A/B testing, uh, and and some uh, site owners they like eh, we don't have enough traffic to do A/B testing, so I can't do anything about conversion optimization, which is not true. I mean, you can always look at data and even if you don't have enough quantitative data, you could do user testing and, and try to learn and understand um, where people get stuck and how you can solve that and, and, and improve your site like that. I mean, so that, that's that's one thing I, I noticed as people mix those terms. Um, uh, also, if you, if you do have enough traffic for A-B testing, um, it doesn't start there. Conversion optimization doesn't start with A/B testing. In my opinion, it it, it kind of ends there. Um, it, it starts with the data, and you really have to understand what's what's happening. And and uh, only when you understand that, you can start A/B testing. So I, I think that's one common misconception. Um, another thing that I, I I see a lot is that a lot of people think it's a quick fix. Um, uh, the number of times I heard someone ask me, <laughs> "Hey, can you?" look at my site and tell me what's wrong so that I can fix it. Um, I mean, I've heard that a lot uh, and I wish it were that simple. And sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes there's like a real obvious problem, um, but that's uh, that's that's the exception. Uh, usually it's it's just uh, a number of smaller uh, things and, and uh, that that basically stop people from buying. Um, and you have to just understand that and and uh, and then start working on the best solution and testing stuff. So um, I think there's still a lot of people that think like, oh, let's do a CRO project and in two months from now we're done. So uh, that's 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 also one of the things that I, I see uh, a lot. Yeah, there's that expectation that someone can hire you to do a two, three month project to mm-hmm. optimize their conversion rates and and set their business back on track. And it doesn't work like that because obviously if you're running, let's just, let's say one test at a time, you know, you, I, I know you, you could be running tests across the site, but say you're running one test at a time, the result of that test could make you question everything else in your testing plan and, and all the research you've done. And, and you might have to start from, you could, you know, in the extreme circumstance, I guess you could end up scrapping your whole, the whole project and, and starting from scratch again. Mm. Um, it just, it doesn't work like that. And you're constantly iterating as well. I think, uh, apologies to me if you're about to suggest this as well, but um, a mistake I see is uh, brands running a test, 
getting an answer from that test and then moving on to something else completely. Absolutely. I, I love the fact that you're bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if you, if you have a winner, why stop there? It means that you're onto something. So see if you can squeeze a follow-up winner uh, from that. I mean, uh, we've, we've seen it happen so many times. A test wins and then you're like, oh, okay, we're onto something. So apparently we this was a hypothesis. So either we, we had a, a great solution. So we already know this is a problem. We had a, a good solution here, but maybe there's even a better solution. Let's try this other solution for the same problem and, and let's test that. And uh, or uh, even in the execution of uh, of the A-B test. So maybe there's something that you can make look a little bit better or uh, phrase a little little bit differently um, so that, that it works even better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how can we make this more powerful? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not the case. You know, it, it's if, if your first solution has been beaten, then it's likely that the second solution is not perfect either. Mm-hmm. Because you didn't build a perfect one in the first place, yeah. Right. So, yeah, and obviously there'll, there'll be a point at which you're you're not getting massive improvements from it, and and then maybe you move on. But you know, you you could probably run at least a second test on something, mm-hmm. and say, right, okay, wh- why why do we think this test won? What what is it about the obviously you've got the research in the first place to kind of tell you this anyway? But yeah, what right? Why do we think this test won? What's the next thing we can do to take that? pain point or message or whatever to the next level and convince people, you know, that actually we can do even better. Mm. Um, one, one that I've run with a, a client actually is around uh, free shipping thresholds. And we, it was just way, way too high. Um, it was initially set something like double the average order value, which right. is just, it's, it's way too high. You're never going to convince someone to spend that much more money. Um, so we dropped it a bit, um, it roughly from, I think it was originally listed at, uh, let's say, £100, when that average order value was more like 50 ish I think. So we dropped it to something like 70 and we saw a bit of an improvement. But then we dropped it again to, I think, about 60 so still higher. Yeah. And that's when, again, we saw a big impact. I think with the second drop, actually, to, to 60, not only did we see a higher conversion rate, we also saw higher order values mm-hmm. because more people were making that stretch to hit the, uh, the 60 and uh, to yeah. hit the 60 pound mark. So yeah, it's, it's definitely not a case of, you know, that was, uh, that's, a, that's done. Uh, now let's move on to the next thing. Um, and equally, if you get it wrong as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if, if a test goes I don't, I don't want to use the word badly because it's unless you've really made a mistake and messed this up, a test shouldn't be considered bad. It should just be considered um, not a winner. You know, uh, not a winner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean that your initial solution was the best and, mm-hmm. and can't be improved on. It means try something else, like figure out a different solution. Um, I guess speaking, <laughs> Speaking of mistakes, then what what are some of the other mistakes you see brands making or marketers making when it comes to A/B testing? Uh, A/B testing, CRO, uh, yeah, either. Yeah, so I think one of the the biggest mistakes uh, I see in general is not doing the research. Um, everybody wants to jump in in, in, in the A/B testing phase because that's where well that's the cool stuff and that's what you read about um but i think not doing the research is is uh setting yourself up for a lot of uh losing tests um it i mean you may get well you you may get some winners in the beginning uh but then it's 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 not going to be very consistent uh, over time and you just need to spend your time first to do the research and understand what's happening um uh, where it's happening why it's happening um, so that so that you can really come up with good hypotheses, and and if you have good hypotheses, you'll have better or more winners. So um, that's that's just having that patience uh, to do that research um, and putting in that time first, because um, the time that you put in uh, first in doing the research. Uh, yeah, I mean, you make up for that so fast um, uh, once you start A-B testing. I believe it was Visual Website Optimizer who did an, a research about that, and um, they found that uh, on average, um, 
if you don't do the research, only one out of every seven A-B tests will produce a significant result. So that could be a significant winner or a significant loser. Um, I mean, that means you run seven tests, the six, six out of seven, eh, A and B, pretty much the same. The seventh test produces a significant result, but it could also be a significant loser. So it, you spend already a lot of time to run those seven tests. Whereas if you do the research first, um, like typically what we get cross clients, on average, we get like one winning test out of every three tests that we set up. Um, sometimes it's a little bit higher, sometimes it's a little bit lower, it depends on where we're at and how long we've been testing that kind of stuff. But uh, usually it's like one out of every three tests is a, is a winning A-B test. Um, so if you, if you spend that research, maybe a couple of weeks up front doing that research, um, you'll see how, how you can make up for that time really fast by uh, finding more winners. However, there's a lot of, um, uh, companies that are like impatient, they want to get to the A-B testing because that's the, the goal. So that's what they read all the case studies about. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's the main um, mistake I see happening a lot. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, yeah, lots of, uh, we know this page is a problem, so let's change it. We all look at it together. None of us like the, the button or yeah. the, like some of the text or the image. And again, it just, I guess it just comes down to like opinions a lot of the time when that happens. Yep. Uh, and that's why it, it, it doesn't really work because effectively you're just using a sample of one for those, for those tests. Um, and a sample of one obviously doesn't, doesn't give you anything, doesn't give you any data. So yeah, the research, research is definitely the best, best place to start. How would you, um, what sort of research, how would you, what would you suggest doing? So I've, 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 I've written a book about conversion optimization for, for e-commerce and uh, it's called Kill Your Conversion Killers. And I, I've, I wrote that about two years ago. Um, I mentioned quite a few uh, research methods in there um, and I split them up like essential uh, methods and, and nice to have methods. But um, uh, since, since I wrote a book, um, I think it was about a year ago, what I did was uh, analyze all the A-B tests that we've ever set up for uh all our e-commerce clients. And by now we've set up about 1500 A-B tests. Um, so, I mean, that's a big uh, a big database of, of uh, A-B tests. So, um, and what I looked at was where did um, the winning A-B test IDs come from? Uh, what research basically showed us what we should test. And um, the, what we found was 90% of all winning A-B tests came from either a Google Analytics analysis, user testing, or an expert review. Um, so those three together were responsible for 90% of our uh, winning A-B tests uh, for all of our clients. So um, when I found out about that, I was like, okay, let's let's just do 90-10 in this case. So let's just go all in on those three research methods. Let's get started. That That's enough to get started. It'll, it'll um, get us a lot of good hypotheses. And later on, we can add more research methods, uh, like uh, looking at click maps and scroll maps and, and visit recordings, uh, all that kind of stuff. But I'd say like, if you have to start somewhere, um, do the Google Analytics analysis, do user testing, um, and uh, an, an expert review. And basically an expert review isn't, well, an expert going over the site and pointing out potential uh, potential problems. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, obviously, yeah, user testing is really important, and, and so is Google Analytics. But yeah, I mean, obviously it helps to have an expert look over things, especially if they've, if they've done it um, so many times. Yeah, well, what I was going to say as well, our expert review is maybe a little bit special in a way that um, we've uh, made our own uh, in-house checklist um, for e-commerce. And, and basically that's based on... on uh, I went over more than 5,000 pages of, of studies, um, so actual, re actual research and studies, um, not just like case studies or blog posts out, out there. And um, I compiled a huge list of checkpoints and, and um, based on, well, per, per page template. So for the home page, for uh, category pages, product pages, card, and so on. Um, and all in all, we have 800 checkpoints. So we go over all those 800 checkpoints um, to, well, to make sure that we've identified all potential problems. It, it's potential problems when it doesn't necessarily mean it is actually a problem for that site, 
But if we see that in the expert review and it gets confirmed maybe in the Google Analytics analysis or in the user testing, we'll bump that issue up because we'll know, um, oh, okay, um, it's not just a potential issue, but we, we see it in the other research as well. So uh, we'll give it a higher priority score uh, so that we can uh, test that sooner, a solution to that problem sooner. Um, so we do have a kind of a, a, a different approach maybe than some other companies when it comes to doing uh, that expert review. Okay, yeah, I mean, 800 is, uh, <laughs> that's a lot of uh, a lot of points in the checklist to go through. Um, what, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it takes a uh, while, but yeah. yeah. Are there any other kind of either big or common mistakes on on a site? Um, uh, well, th no, that you see. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I suppose e either really big, or really common mistakes you see a lot on on websites, or um, or actually more to do with the actual you know process uh, behind yeah. the test. I think when when it comes to um, the, the process of, of a CRO and, and A-B testing, um, I think if you, you do A-B testing, uh, not spending enough time on, on QAing uh, the variations of an A-B test, uh, that, that's a big mistake. Um, you, you set it up and, and you just check it on one or two browsers and, and that's it. Um, we we, we uh, spend a lot of time doing a QA and that's I mean, that's maybe the most boring uh, step of the process, but it's probably the most vital step of the process of, of A-B testing because you want to make sure that your variation uh, displays correctly and works correctly on all devices and all browsers that, that uh, your uh, your visitors use. So um, I believe I read a study about that as well at some point, and it, it said that 40% of all A-B tests that are being pushed live are actually broken. So they they don't work on on one device or one browser. Um, and obviously that's going to skew the results because let's say uh, it's it's not working properly on, on Safari. Um, your variation doesn't work there. Uh, and then obviously that that's that no, nobody can convert there. And then you might have a problem um, in, the, in the data. You'll see uh, A winning instead of your variation winning. And you'll say like, oh, okay, um, our variation didn't uh, outperform uh, control. So uh, let's keep control. Whereas it was actually just a technical issue, um, so spending that time uh, on QA uh, is, is something I find we really need to convince our clients of. We we do that for our clients, but sometimes they want to uh, rush it and, and they want to go ahead and, and just push it live, and, and we need to slow them down and say like, hey, let's let's QA it first and, and let's make sure that that it works correctly. I think that that's definitely something to to watch out for uh, when you do um, A/B testing. I don't think it takes that much time, does it? Obviously, well, I know people are impatient and want to get on with things, but I don't think it takes a huge, unless you come across the errors, obviously, in which yeah. case you've got to go fix them, but but then it's worthwhile doing. Mm. But um, yeah, just kind of running through, running through things, testing on different devices, different browsers. You know, we're not talking weeks of work. No, no, no. That pushing sure. it back. It's, no, yeah, what? Like... I don't know, maybe a day's work. Yeah, but uh, totally, absolutely, of just a couple, or, or even just a couple of hours. But I think what I was trying to say was like, okay, if if you uh, cl clients don't care about that step in the process, and they're like, yeah, whatever, uh, and maybe that's why they're like, oh, well, whatever, just do it. And um, and that maybe that's that's what I was trying to say there. Um, it's just it's just important to do it, and um, I can understand also when when. Um, you, you do A-B testing yourself that it's tempting to yeah, skip it and like, yeah, yeah, it looks good enough. Um, you just want to go ahead and, and be done with it. So uh, it's not the most interesting part of, of the whole process. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it does come up a lot actually. And, uh, and I suppose, in fact, even it's related to that research step as well. What's, what it's really easy to do is um, kind of, especially actually as as marketers as uh, as the employees even you know if you're at your desk all day looking at your computer it's really easy to actually just look over your website and go oh maybe that's going to be a problem I we mm -hmm. should um, we should test that or we should change that but actually you're you're focusing on that one that one browser that one device um, thinking of making a change when actually you know if 80% of your traffic's mobile, yeah, and you make a big site change because you've your your desktop has made that decision for you. You could be making a massive error. 
Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and and not just making changes, but also prioritizing test test IDs. Because uh, I mean, if you do the research, typically, well, in our case, we usually have at least a hundred test IDs. Um, and where do you start? Not on desktop, obviously. Have you if you have eighty percent of your traffic on 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 mobile, and you have some uh, IDs that are very uh, specific for mobile that you don't even make sense to, to run on uh, those tests on, on desktop, well, go for those mobile uh, issues first, obviously, because, I mean, it's 80% of your of your traffic. So, yeah, that's uh, um, that, that that's still something that it's so tempting because you're behind your computer all day and you, you check something and you look at that version mainly, but your your consumer isn't there on, on their mobile. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Any other, any other mistakes for uh, yeah. mobile? Um, <laughs> plenty of those, but uh, um, I think especially when, when it comes to um, letting the test run long enough, uh, that's something that I see a lot uh, in the beginning phases. So when some when a company starts out uh, with conversion optimization, um, they uh, they run a test and they look at the numbers after two days and they're like, "Whoa, B is winning. Let's stop it. Let's implement it." And um, maybe they don't have enough. Uh, conversions yet and even if they do um, they haven't run the test in in uh, cycles of, of full weeks um, so it's really important to do that as well um, to if, if after like seven days your test is not done yet give it another seven days and not another two days so uh, basically what you want to do is you want to make sure you have um, covered all the ups and downs that you typically have in your conversion rate um, over a normal week um, if you look in your um, analytics, for instance, and, and uh, to a, a, a Thursday night or a Sunday morning, your uh, conversion rate typically is going to be uh, totally different. So you want to make sure you uh, really uh, catch all those highs and lows in the test cycle. So that's why you always need to test in, in uh, increments of full weeks. Uh, so 7, 14, 21 days, um, it doesn't matter. But if it's not done after seven days, don't stop it after nine days. You have to give it another uh, entire week. So um, that's, that's also something um, we, we often need to explain uh, to our clients because they don't really get it. They see a number in the A-B testing tool and they're like, well, it's winning. So let's just implement it. But it can it can still flip. And we've seen that many times where uh, on a Friday night, um, A is winning and on a Monday morning, B is winning because behavior in the weekend is totally different. So th those visitors to the site, they react differently to the variation or to the control than the people uh, that are coming during the week. Yeah, um, I, I do think that's one that people just aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is, uh, you know, you, you get to that point where you think, right, we're going to run it long enough, got to get statistical significance and all that. Um, hit that, do the check, cool, this one's one, go. And, yeah, you're right, look, I, but I, I just don't think people are consider that, really, that they need to run it for a full week mm -hmm. because the the idea of it having to be a full week is it feels like almost like a different concept to a like a data-led approach, if that makes sense. What am I trying to say? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the statistical significance is is significance, and therefore mm -hmm. that should make sense. So, yeah, I think a lot of people don't think why does it matter to do a full week? Yeah. Well, what's what's that got to do with it? And yeah, it's the fact that different days convert in different ways. Um, you got, I guess, you've got different like browsing behaviors at different times and. And days as well so yeah i think that's a really um really important one that's worth uh, worth people knowing about mm. yeah and, uh, i mean it I, I get the temptation to to end the test when your a b testing tool shows that it's winning um but you just have to kind of hold your horses and i mean i used to say like don't check your data in the first couple of days uh, because you will be tempted to um to kind of end the test because you think it's it, it has already produced a winner. Uh, I've changed that a little bit. You have to check it after one day at least, just to make sure that your data are coming in correctly. That's so uh, you don't want to wait two weeks and then check your data and then see like, oh shit, something went wrong with the test. I, I'm not getting any yeah. data. Um, so you do want to check in the first day, but you have to just learn to be patient and and uh, let it run. Um, and 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 also, I guess, change your expectations that that's also something that i see 
um, a lot is that people don't have the realistic or the right expectations um, when it comes to, to uh, conversion optimization and uh, A-B testing uh, in general. I don't know what, what, what your experience is uh, when it comes to that. One of the expectations is that every test will be a winner or every test should be a winner. Yeah. Uh, we, are, we are testing... We're testing what we think should be a better solution. Therefore, if we're not getting a winning solution, we're doing something wrong, mm-hmm. um, which might be the case because you might not have done the research properly mm-hmm. or something like that. But it's it, it might just be that, you know, you, you spoke to customers, you looked at the data, you know, you, you came up with what you did feel was the best solution. But people are just people and you never know how people are really going to react to something. Um, and that, yeah, I think, I think one of the big expectations is that, yeah, every test will just really noticeably move the needle. Yeah. And that, you know, and like, well, like you said earlier, you know, one in every three tests is a, a winner mm. for you. Um, I think that, you know, I imagine you're quite happy with that, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's decent, right? Uh, yeah. So, I can understand why someone who doesn't understand it would say, like you're saying a 33% success rate is good. Mm, yeah. That's, that sounds weird, but, but there's also the view that a, a losing test isn't, isn't a failure necessarily mm-hmm. as long as you can learn from it. Absolutely. And then, and then it helps you get the next one. But yeah, I think one of the big expectations is that, you know, this, this test you're running is going to get you a, 20% conversion rate increase. Yeah. Um, and the next one will get you another 15, 20% or 30% if you're, if you're really lucky. Mm. It, it doesn't work like that. It's they're generally much smaller improvements. Yeah. Um, and it kind of, you know, I, I have a checklist that I run through when, when kind of evaluating a test idea mm. and, and it involves things like, you know, is it, is it something that's brand new to the website or are we just moving something? Because if it's if it's ne- if it wasn't there before, and now you put something on site, it's it's more noticeable that change. Um, and then there's stuff around you know usability or motivation or anxiety, and all these have that kind of different impacts. But yeah, you're generally looking at small incremental increases um, that will you know eventually have that impact of of boosting that conversion rate and ultimately the the profit and everything. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I, I think those are also the, the expectations that I see a lot that are way off is every test is going to win. And, and typically what I say is if, if every test was going to win based on hypotheses that we made, why would a B testing still exist? And they just have to ask me and I tell them it's this one. I mean, <laughs> it's, that's not how it works. That's why yeah. we test. Um, and then yeah, and then about the, the increases that people are going to see. I, I think people really are, are misled in a way. Um, and, and again, that's a bit with those misconceptions related to, to the misconceptions that we talked about earlier, but are misled in a way um, about those huge increases that they read about in blog posts and, and, and case studies. Uh, and typically what they don't see is that that's maybe that one time where there was like a 50% uplift from an AB test. Um, and they maybe they, they had to run 50 tests and there was just one with a huge <laughs> impact. Obviously yeah. that's an interesting one to, to, to brag about, but it's just not realistic to think that you will produce that kind of results, especially not if you're already been around and you've been working a lot on the on the side, and it's already pretty decent. Then it's more about the smaller incremental increases, as you as you said, um, and not about those huge steps forward. But um, it's it's the, I mean, I'm a big cycling fan, and and uh, just um, a UK team team in EOS that they're all about marginal gains. They introduce that in, in cycling. I, I I kind of like to relate that back to um, uh, AB testing as well. It's a lot of marginal gains, but they gains they really add up at, at the end of uh, of the day when uh, especially when when you do have already a lot of volume um, then just a few percentage percentages here and there uh, can make a huge difference uh, to your bottom line yeah yeah absolutely you know no one no one's really going to write a case study about improving conversion rate five percent nope that's not sexy. It's, just, it's, <laughs> it's not sexy it's, it doesn't sound impressive mm. um, but if you can improve five or six things on your website in that funnel, by five percent, 
you know, it, it compounds together and then gives you a, a fairly decent result. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's, it's that combined with things like, you know, you, everyone sees that case study of where someone changed the color of a button. Yeah. Um, and it's orange as well. I think that's always a kind of famous color. Uh, everyone changes the button to orange and yeah. it gave this company a 36% increase in conversion rate. So the immediate thing is, right, we need to change the button color of our buttons. Yeah. Something like that. And you're like, well, no, your button's already red. It doesn't need to be orange. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's also what really gets me is, is when I read that kind of case studies, then I, I know that there's a lot of people who are going to read it and just implement it, not even test it where it's going to be relevant to yeah. them or not. Uh, the, the, well, the button color is, is a typical one. Uh, I, I, well, to be honest, we've never tested a button color because that's not, it's not even that hard to decide which color you need to pick. It's just one that contrasts well. Yeah, addressed. exactly. That's, yeah, that's what a lot of these case studies miss out. Yep. The explanation that the reason it worked is because the original button was, you know, on a, a ghost button that was overlaid on an image. Yeah. So actually you could barely see it. Yeah. And then they made, then they took it off the image and made it a bright orange color, which clashes with everything else on that page. Mm -hmm. Obviously that stands out and is going to be clicked more. Yeah. That's um, it. But, that's it. But yeah, if, if you've got that same button and it's blue and it stands out on the page or you test it and it's orange and it stands out on the page, you're probably not going to see that big a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So, but it's just a shame that you see all those case studies and then you know that there's a lot of people out there, they read the case study and they're like, oh, okay, it's been tested. I'll implement it. Um, and uh, I, a lot of harm is done like that as well, because we've, we've done that before. Um, like you read a case study that actually makes sense and you think like, oh, okay, but we don't implement it. We, we test it. And then we test sometimes on different sites and with totally different results. Uh, sometimes it wins big and on another side, it's no difference. And then on a third side is a big loser. So um, if, if, if we'd gone ahead and just implemented that on all, all of our client sites, then some of them would have lost a lot of money. Um, so it's yeah. that that's so dangerous about it. And I think that's also one of the things that um, a lot of those blog posts and, and whatever um, are not pointing out enough is that a B testing is not just about finding winners. It's also, and maybe even more, uh, about preventing you from implementing losers. Um, and that's... Um, yeah, that, that, that. yeah that, that, that's something that, that almost no one ever mentions, uh, but it's, it's equally, equally important or even more important than finding winners because how many times do we just implement stuff on the site? thinking that it will at least not hurt your conversions. And then um, if we would have tested it, well, <laughs> we would have found out that, that it actually lost. And uh, so that's, that's so important to do. I remember one case where we had an, an American client that came to us and, and um, he had comparing us with a couple of other agencies. And, and one of those agencies had um, told him, like, you, you don't have that kind of benefits bar uh, on top of your or USB bar, or whatever you want to call it, like free shipping and that kind of stuff the, the, with those icons that you see site-wide on, on a lot of e-commerce sites. And he told me, like, let, let, let's just implement it. And he was like, no, no, I, I really want to test it because um, um, I'm not sure it's going to work better for you guys. And so we tested it. And um, turned out it had a 99 point, what is it, was it 7% probability of... Um, well, that they would lose a million dollars a year if they implemented that. So it's a good thing that I pushed back to the client and said like, hey, we need to test it and, and not just implement it because otherwise they, they would have lost a million dollars. And the thing is, at the time they were doing about, I, I think 10, 10 to 11 million a year. So they would have lost about 10%. Now, the thing is, if they, uh, people would say like, yeah, but you implement that and you see a drop, so you just remove it again, but that's not how it works. You implement it. Maybe you see the next day, uh, you see a, a, a little drop, but you, you're so convinced that what you implemented at least didn't hurt the conversions that you're not going to think of that as, as the cause of, of uh, the, the, the small drop that you see in conversion rate. And um, a small drop of 10%, that doesn't seem that much, but over, that it builds up over the year and it can be a lot of money that you're losing like that. And, and it, there's a good chance that you will not spot that 
it was actually that implementation that you just did that was the culprit of uh, of the drop in conversion rate. And and you might start looking in some into some com some some campaigns or look at your site speed or whatever to find out what happened there. Uh, but you probably overlook the change that you made because you're so convinced that it actually um, uh, works better. Yeah, well, I think um, I, I think part of it probably comes down to. Uh, kind of resource and the effort that has to go into building some things for a website. Mm -hmm. So people don't want to test it. Yep. They just want to, they want to build it and implement it. And I suppose part of that is that fear that you've spent so much time and money building this new feature for your website. Mm -hmm. And the test is, if a test shows that you, that it doesn't work and it's not good for you. Like, it's almost like, I guess the, the fear is that someone has the answer for that. And it's it's now someone's fault that this is bad when actually you had a great idea or you thought you had a great idea. You took the smart option and tested it and the test has shown that the implementation isn't right. Yeah, you, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I think um, the way you could look at it as well, doing A-B testing is, uh, is actually doing development with an ROI. Um, you're development right now on your site that you probably don't measure the ROI of your dev development. Well, I'm pretty sure you don't um, because how do you measure that? And and if you do A-B testing and you make every change to decide based on, on A-B testing, you'll have a clear ROI for your development in a way. Um, so you, you'll you'll know that what you're doing in, in development actually makes you money and you can prioritize things to implement on the site when it when it's been tested. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just like, some tests you need to spend a lot of time on to to build them and then they lose and then it's like oh shit we we tested the wrong thing or we lost a lot of money on on uh, actually developing it and a lot of time on developing it but you could also turn it around and say like a good thing we didn't implement it because we would have lost a lot more money so we saved a lot of money so but yeah. it's yeah. very logical way of thinking and, and i guess as people we uh, we kind of react more emotionally to that kind of situation but um, yeah, I think that's just a, a shift of perspective that that uh, that you need to make at that point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, just final final point from me on this before we move on. Um, best practice. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's another mistake people make is you know with stuff like that button and the USB bar, for example. Yeah. People kind of see it, and especially with the case studies, they see it as best practice, and they think we want to make our site best practice. So they implement this thing. Yeah. And it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Best practice works really well around processes mm -hmm. and the process for running your A-B tests and things. Yeah. It doesn't work for web design because, you know, there are all right, there are some things you can do really badly. Um, but other than that, it's kind of just guidance. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe if you really haven't got any data or any, any site usage or anything, or if you're just starting, yeah, maybe go ahead with best practice because that's all you've got. Mm -hmm. But yeah, don't, uh, don't just assume that's because something appears to be best practice. It, it's just going to work for you. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a great point that you make. Um, I think a lot of people, I, I, I almost cringe when people ask me what's best practice on this. Um, it's a question I get a lot uh, because I, I really prefer to call it a, a common practice um, or uh, even a prototypical principle, um, which is kind of less, I don't know, best practice. It, 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 it suggests that you should do this because this is the best. Um, whereas a common practice is already, um, it has less expectations uh, to yeah. it or a prototypical principle is more like, how do people or sites prototypically solve a situation like that or do this or do that? Because prototypes or prototypical thinking can really help um, when you put yourself in the shoes of your customer. Like, okay, they're going to come to my site. Where are they going to look for uh, the search bar, for instance? Oh, okay, top right, for instance, or in the middle, but on the top. I'm not going to put it in the footer. So that's a prototypical principle. So that helps to make decisions. Um, and it, it, it comes with less expectations, I, I, I think, than the term uh, best practices. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose the, the term best practice means if you implement best practice, there's... You're done. <laughs> you, you're done, yeah. Um, and I think I think people know that's not quite what it means, but 
yeah, it's very easy to just say, this will make our site better. We don't have it. Everyone else has it. Must be best practice. In fact, actually, yeah, that is where it gets even worse when it's not even, no one's ever called it best practice, but someone goes, oh, all our competitors do this. Right. So it must be, that must be best practice. Yeah. That's that's the worst one. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's just a, a shortcut, I guess. And, uh, we're, we're all lazy in a way. Uh, so we tend to take the shortcut sometimes. And uh, yeah, I, I, I do understand it, but it's just not the best way to... Um, to do zero for sure. No, no, definitely not. Um, do you see any big trends coming up in the way businesses approach CRO? Well, I think zero is it's, it's still pretty much in its infancy. I'd say um, I've noticed it, it. It's, I mean, it really depends. There's uh, companies that are still not even focused doing it anything of it, and they're still focused just on on, on traffic. Others are dipping their toes in, in, into it. And then there's uh, some other companies that are getting mature and mature. Uh, so there's still not, not everyone is at the, uh, at the same level. Like for instance, when it comes to PPC, um, a lot of companies understand that they, they, they're pretty advanced in it. Zero is really at, at different speeds at, at this point. Uh, and it, it's even in, in big companies where it's um, an established department, it's still um, in its infancy. After all, it's, it's pretty, young discipline in, in digital marketing, I'd say. Um, and um, it, it also, I think it's it's very hard to sell internally in, in big companies um, because it's hard to wrap your head around. There's a lot of things involved like design and psychology and, 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 uh, and statistics and that kind of stuff. So it's it's very hard to sell internally. Um, but I think it, it's, I, I do see a trend where it's becoming more and more uh, important within a, a company and it, it's, Starting to be valued for um, well for what it can do, and uh, it's it's taken more into account. Um, that's not a huge trend, I'd say, but it's it's a positive evolution. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you, are, are you seeing are you seeing it get picked up more in in certain sizes of business? Like, do you is, is it bigger businesses that are picking it up and smaller ones being left behind, or or does yeah, it? Yeah. I, I think if, if I have to say it in, in terms of like yearly revenue, um, usually it's it's um, companies starting at around, around four to five million, uh, I'm speaking in euros now per year. Uh, those typically uh, really start thinking about zero uh, seriously. When they hit like a 10 million or more, they, they sometimes they start thinking of doing it in-house or they giving it more weight uh, in, in the... Uh, in the company so um but yeah usually like four to five million that's that's the starting point uh, for a lot of companies where they start thinking okay. about yeah so i mean not not massive businesses mm. um you know do, doing well quite established yeah. um and now ready to start optimizing yeah. whereas yeah i suppose it comes down to that data thing doesn't it I, I guess a lot of smaller companies don't see the point in doing it because they haven't got the the uh, the traffic to be able to A/B test. Yeah, and, and there's so many things that you need to uh, invest in. Uh, so I, I totally get it. Um, yeah, it usually it's, it's something for more mature companies that that have that uh, financial wiggle room to uh, start investing in, in conversion optimization. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if you've got a small team, it doesn't make sense to dedicate a day, or well, it would be more than a day, won't it? Like a, a, a day or two to you know research, planning, and, and getting everything in place for a CRO test. If it's going to improve your conversion rate 10%, which is a few hundred euros a month or something. Yeah. Then yeah. you might might as well spend it elsewhere. Yeah, you can spend those days on other things that are going to build the business and have a, a much bigger impact. True. Yeah. Um, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Just I think gen- like- generally. If there's one thing uh, we could probably fill an entire episode on, is is uh, for me it's, it's forms. <laughs> um, I think I mean a form is always crucial when it comes to conversion, whether it's lead generation or e-commerce in the checkout, for instance. Uh, but it's it's they're so bad often, <laughs> and I I I always. Um, Get annoyed when I have to shop on online for myself, and it's so it's it's not work related, and and or or fill in a form or something like that. It's oh, there's so many things that go, can go wrong, and you typically see that a form isn't 
uh, afterthought for uh, for a, a company. They're like, oh, we've done all everything. Oh, uh, and then they ask to the developer, oh, can you put up a form uh, real quick there? And and that's it. And um, yeah. they, they don't look at like uh, error messages and and uh, the characters that are accepted or not accepted and and all that kind of stuff. So there's so much that can go wrong with forms. Um, we could probably fill an entire episode about that. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It feels like. It's, it's another one of those things a lot of people think, oh, it doesn't really matter. Let's just get it up on site. Yeah. It'll, it'll do its job. Yeah. And yeah. it's essential. It's like usually it's the last step before the, before the actual uh, conversion or the main conversion, uh, be it on a lead generation site or, uh, or on, a, on, a, on an e-commerce. Uh, you always need a form. And um, that's where it, usually it's an afterthought. And yeah, it should be one of the first things uh, you do and make sure that works uh, properly. Yeah, exactly. Like you say, it's the it's basically the conversion. <laughs> you know, you've managed to get them all the way through to this form. You need yeah, them to fill it out. Absolutely. So make, like make giving sure it's up, just, yeah, just giving up uh, with the finish uh, inside. It, it's 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 weird. Yeah, um, and just finally, then, what do you think? There's a, a particular underrated aspect of marketing. Yeah, I. I I'm a big fan of, of customer personas, and um, I think that's something that's really underrated. Um, I'm not saying you need to have like a very detailed um, uh, description of, of your ideal customer. I think it, it does help, obviously. But I, I, a lot of for a lot of companies, that seems like um, I don't know, like very vague uh, marketing, blah blah customer persona. But it's actually what I, what I mean is is really getting a really good understanding of of who you're servicing. Um, or serving, um, and and I think most businesses they don't really have a clue. It's it's it still surprises me uh, the amount of e-commerce uh, companies I talk to and ask like, okay, who's your customer persona? And they're like, oh, women in their thirties. Um, but that's way too broad, and 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 it's just because they started out selling stuff uh, instead of servicing or serving a specific type of customer. Um, and you really need to understand, understand who you're, uh, who you're serving. Um, and, and you have to start with, with the who and not with the what, not what am I going to sell, but who am I selling to? How can I help that person better? How, how can I help them on the journey they're on? Um, and, and if you understand really well who that is, everything else will become so much easier. Because you'll understand what goes on in, in their lives, in their minds, uh, where they hang out, um, uh, what kind of uh, next product they want to buy from you, um, how, how you can help them. And I think that's really the way to build a future-proof uh, brand. So I think that's that's really underrated aspect. And, and well, I mentioned the term brand. I think for a lot of e-commerce companies, branding also seems like a very vague and, and blah, blah kind of marketing uh, concept. But uh, I think building that brand is really important if you want to uh, future-proof your, uh, your company. Um, and basically, it, it doesn't have to be that difficult. There's just one question. Uh, who do you want to be for who? That's it. And and think of your brand as a person. And what would you describe your brand like? And what would your person, brand person do? And then who are you serving? So who's that customer persona? I think if you, you combine those two, uh, you have a winning formula for a, a future-proof uh, e-commerce company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, really agree with you there. Uh, I think, um, yeah, you're right. You get too many that are, yeah, women in their thirties. That's our target audience. Yeah, um, and I think I mean I think one of the issues is because I know I don't like doing them. Uh, it's time consuming, mm-hmm. and some of the questions are difficult. You know, when you're trying to think about what's really important to a woman in their what could be like fifties, and you're not a woman in their in your fifties. Yeah, it's it's difficult to think about it, and it's you know it's I guess similar to coming up with conversion ideas sometimes I find that I can't just sit here at my desk look at the website and come up with ideas or look at the sometimes even looking at the data I have to look at this stuff and go for a walk and while I'm walking and thinking about it the ideas will come yeah and I think it's, it's probably a similar thing with trying to write customer personas that they're, they're not particularly fun to do I don't think um and they are a bit difficult and you you can't it's not you can't just sit there and check off a list of like answers and run through these questions. Um, it requires a bit of creative thinking, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, not really easy, but I think it's better to start with something and then build up on that later on. And you don't have to get it perfect from, from, from the start, but 
speak to a couple of um, uh, a couple of your customers and, and try to understand them and, and um, ask a couple of good questions and, and you'll um, you'll get better feeling of who you're uh, serving and just speaking to a few of your customers will already start shaping that customer persona in in your mind uh, so that I think that's that's a, an important first step. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's been amazing stuff, like really, really helpful. Um, I think there's really, really loads of valuable stuff in there about how to approach uh, kind of, yeah, like conversion optimization uh, and uh, and A-B testing. Um, what's, the, what's the best way of people contacting you, finding out more? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty active on, on LinkedIn, so feel free to uh, connect there. Um, and then uh, if you like, you can uh, download a free PDF version. Well, you can buy my book as well on Amazon, but uh, uh, you can just uh, download a free PDF version of my book and then just go to dexter.agency uh, slash free dash book um, and you can uh, download uh, a free PDF version there. That's a nice and simple domain, isn't it? Or URL. Cool. Um, well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Will. Great, great, great being here. So as you heard, CRO isn't just a quick fix. It's not something that's going to magically turn a dying business into an industry leader. But if done correctly, you know, it's absolutely will make a business more efficient, sustainable and profitable. Don't just blindly follow case studies and be cautious of what you hear online from the gurus. You know, CRO is tough, but it can pay off massively. Just remember, at the end of the day, it's all about value. If you're not getting value from the customers you're converting, there's not much point converting them. Contrary to popular belief, you don't have to make a loss on the first purchase. You can acquire valuable customers from the start and then focus on making them even more profitable in the long run. If you'd like to learn more about CRO, reach out to Yoris on LinkedIn, or you can head over to the Dexter Agency website to grab his book. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, uh, either send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at willlawrenton. Next up, I've got Mike Rhodes with me. We're going to be talking about PPC and how understanding the profit curve will open up massive opportunities of growth for you. But until then, keep those customers clicking.